Uh, and so if you have your Bible with you, you might want to uh, get it ready, follow along with me in just a moment. And uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, we'll have, uh, we'll have you all looked after. We'll, you'll be able to follow on the screen. Um, so a message uh, this morning, kind of number, two, almost like number two in the, uh, in the series, if you will. A prophetic prayer and a puking fish. Um, if you remember last time we went through chapter 1 and we talked about three things that anyone and everyone who runs from God encounters and can expect to encounter. We mentioned, one, that they'll end up in a bad place. We mentioned, two, that their lives eventually will start to unravel. And thirdly, we talked about how people who are running from God will hurt those around them inevitably. It's unintentional. They don't intend to do it, and they don't intend for it to end up that way, but that's the way it usually does. It happens that way. And if you remember, I said Jonah is an awful lot, an awful lot like all of us. We can all identify at some point and in some way, with Jonah. There are times in all of our lives when we've run from God. You know, it's not like we're openly declaring to be atheists. It's not like we reject everything we've ever heard or ever been taught. Many times it's much more subtle than that. We've got this wrong idea that somehow, if we give ourselves totally to God and, and follow him, and live according to his plan, and always uh, concerned about his will for our lives, then we're just going to be unhappy. We're going to miss out on a lot of stuff that we don't want to miss out on. And so we turn from the best life, (laughs) and we run. Now, something else we kind of touched on, and I want to come back to it today, is that, and we keep saying it here a lot at the faith community, we, we can't go it alone. This is, life is not a Lone Ranger thing. And uh, we've had a chance to talk about that recently in some, in some group settings. We, we need friends. We need people that will come in when the whole world goes out. We need people who will stand by. Have you ever tried to reach a goal in life? How many have ever had a goal set and you tried to reach it and it was a real, it was a real effort? You may have reached the goal, you may not have. But if you reach the goal, you can go back now and say, you know, if I hadn't had that help or I hadn't had that encouragement or I hadn't had that, just that piece of advice or I hadn't had somebody standing shoulder to shoulder with me, I probably would never have made it. I would have just self-destructed. Well, I got a little video I want to share with you today that kind of brings that out uh, because if you're trying to reach a goal, let me just encourage you, keep going, keep going, keep going. And remember, we always need someone. I can't be the one to help us see. 
Everybody needs somebody. But isn't life like that sometimes? You're right on the goal line, but man, you just can't get over it. And you just need some help. Just say that with me. Yes, I can. With God's help, you can do it. Now, here's the thing we see from the story of Jonah. You say, what does that have to do with Jonah chapter 2? Well, I'll tell you. I'll just theologically bring it out now. Absolutely nothing. Now, we got that settled. If you belong to him, really what I want to say here is, God doesn't let you keep on running. If you belong to God, eventually at some point in your pursuit, you're going to come face to face with the reality that you cannot run forever. Because God will relentlessly pursue you. He will stay with you. He will find you. He knows right where you are. He knows just what you need. And so we ended last time with Jonah being swallowed by a big sardine. Yeah, a really big fish. You say either it was a really big fish or Jonah was a really small prophet. They call him a minor prophet, but not for that reason. And at that time, Jonah still had not repented. He was saying, in essence, this this was kind of his attitude toward the situation that he came into. He was more or less saying by his actions, I'd rather die than do what God has commanded me to do. And that's, that's a tough situation. And so... Just throwing him into the sea didn't solve the problem. Just throwing him overboard and and popping him into into the, the sea was not enough. It didn't do the trick. This hard hearted prophet was gonna take some more convincing. So so God sends the fish and it swallows him. Now I know you've had such a hard time probably over the years just getting your mind around that story, you probably never had time to do much thinking about the details, so let's do it for a minute or two this morning. Have you ever really imagined this, other than just, okay, I accept the story, and I know it's true, and it's in the Bible, but have you ever really stopped to think about it? The physical, material, actual, real deal. I mean, you're you're in, in Jonah's position, we'll say. You're in the water. All of a sudden, this tremendous storm that's been raging just stops like that. And the next thing you see is a big, uh, uh, I mean huge, a giant fish mouth opening up. And where? You get gulped down. Now, how horrible would that be? He could probably feel the muscles of this fish squeezing him down. And who knows what else was in that huge stomach? You ever think of that? Seaweed. Half-digested little fish, hundreds of them. Well, 
seawater, bile, stomach acids, and some other anatomical things that we would rather not mention. Now, you got the picture? That's a lovely picture, isn't it? And you have that in your head, and you're thinking, what is this? What's wrong with this guy? How has he let this go to this point? How has he allowed himself not only to be in this situation, but to be in this awful situation? So what we want to do for a little bit this morning is look at several things. I guess you could say we're going to be looking what I call God's attitude towards those who run and then decide they want to come back. So this chapter tells us about Jonah's prayer, and it's a prophetic prayer. And I'll tell you why in a moment. And God's answer to the prayer. So let's start reading in Jonah chapter 2, if you have your Bible, and we're going to read the first two verses just to kind of get you into the, the scene here. So Jonah chapter 2, verse uh, 1, and then verse 2. I'm going to wait till it comes up on the screen so you can follow along. I'm going to wait till it comes up on the screen so you can follow along. Okay. Absolutely. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord kept coming to Jonah. If you look at this little book in the Bible, you'll find that those words are there over and over. I think he was a great prophet, and I think he, he really accomplished a lot once he was in, in the right place to accomplish anything. But I think he also was a little bit thick-headed. I think he was a little stubborn. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because the wickedness has come up before me. And the first thing we notice here, um, I'm reading from Jonah 1. And I think what I want is Jonah 2. So if you're following your Bible, you're confused now. So Jonah chapter 2, verse 1 says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me, From the depths of the grave I call for help, and you listen to my cry. And I'll tell you why in just a bit that that is a prophetic prayer. The first thing we notice is that it took extreme measures to get Jonah to a place of repentance. And so here he is in a fish. By the way, been there three days. If, if, if even a few of those elements that I mentioned a few minutes ago were present, where he was present, that wouldn't be a real pleasant experience after three days, would it? No, no. And he... I would have thought after three minutes he would have been praying. But after three days, he prays. And God answers. And that's good news. Matter of fact, church, that's very good news. When you're in dire distress and you pray, God answers. Some people wait until then to pray, and I don't suggest you do that. But it's still good news that when you're in those kind of situations and you pray... God answers. So God's hearing, God's watching, God's observing, God knows. And he hears the prayers of those who have run and then repent and decide, okay, I'm going to change this and I'm going to turn around and I'm going the other direction. And when you've run and run and run and run and you finally hit rock bottom, you start facing the consequences of your running. And all the time, God is there waiting for you to turn to him. And you could say, well then, Bob, why, why, why does God wait? Why does he show patience in those situations? Well, I'll tell you what I think. I think it's because we sometimes have to get to a point where we see the truth of the situation. Where we really get into and understand what's happening in our lives. You see, the reality is we don't have any leverage with God. Can I say that again? We don't have any leverage with God. You can go to church Every Sunday, you can go to church every day. You can be in any denomination you want. You can claim all the holiness and righteousness. Let me just say this to you. You have no leverage with God. Neither do I. 
And neither does anyone else who's ever set foot on this, the, the, the face of this globe. This globe. We, we just don't have leverage with God. We don't have, he doesn't have favorites. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. We're all on the same plane. Doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter how long you've been there, doesn't matter who you were with, doesn't matter what you did. We have no leverage with God. And we don't have leverage when things are really going well and we're really feeling on a spiritual high and, and, and you know, we've got the wind at our back and we're on a downhill course and everything's just breezy. By the same token, we don't have leverage when things are going badly. But it's only in those times when things are going badly that we fully realize the truth that I want to pound home this morning. And here's the biblical truth. God doesn't owe us, any of us, any of his blessings. He owes us nothing. He doesn't owe us any, he doesn't owe any of us his salvation. But thank God he allows us to have it. I read the account of a pastor who was talking to a fellow pastor one time, and, and the, the first man said to, to, the, to the other, he said, it's amazing when you read through Scripture. It's amazing when you really consider what's in the Bible that so few people were saved. So few people came to faith in Christ. And the other pastor turned and said, no, what's really amazing is that any were saved. Because we all, like sheep, have gone astray, turned everyone to his own way. The Bible says there are none righteous. There's none righteous. No, not one. So make sure you get that in your notes. We do not have leverage with God. We do not. We, we do not get into the favorites club by any acts of, of kindness that we've done. And so Jonah is in the fish. Can I tell you that again? Jonah's still there. If he'd stayed a couple more days, he'd probably have to pay rent. And he's suffering the consequences of his running. And I can tell you this after three days. I'm still not convinced that he gets it. You say, boy, if I were there, I'm sure, well, who knows? You ever been in a situation where God was just knocking on your door and you weren't hearing, you weren't listening, it wasn't resonating? But now he comes to a point, boy, when you come to this point, you're starting to make some headway. He realizes that he can't blame anyone else for where he is. He can't blame God because God made it very clear what he was supposed to do, where he was supposed to go, and what was going to happen. And so he repents and he prays and he realizes, whoops, I've really messed up here. And I love verse 2 because it says, in my distress I called to the Lord, and I love these next four words, and he answered me. And that's God showing Jonah grace. Thank God for grace. Amen? There's no other way to put it. Jonah deserves to now be digested by this nasty fish. He deserves whatever befalls him. <coughs> he has rebelled against God Almighty, but God Almighty is a God of grace. Aren't you glad? Hmm? You know, this is a great lesson for us. Simple, but, but, but poignant. This shows us that if we repent, if we turn back to God, if we get a heart for God again, wherever we might be, whatever our station in life, God hears us and God is quick to show us grace and mercy. Now, the New Testament counterpart to this is another story that I dearly love. And it's the story of the prodigal son over in Luke chapter 15. The prodigal runs off, wastes his life, wastes everything that he had coming to him, and then repents, starts really feeling sorry for himself, wonders if he could ever even be accepted on his father's property again. Certainly he can't be accepted as part of the family, but maybe he could be hired help, and maybe he could work in, the, in his father's yard, and maybe he could do something. Maybe he could be the least of the least, but at least he'd have some, some security. And he's, all these thoughts are going through his mind, and he repents, and he starts for home, and his father, this is, probably, this is probably my favorite scenario of relationships. 
in the Bible because his father sees him. And I believe the father went out every day looking to see if he was going to come home. And that particular day, he sees him afar off, the Bible says, and he runs, the father does, to meet him. I added my own version, and I believe he met him more than halfway. Because this is a picture of God's grace. And God always meets us more than halfway. God always comes to that station, that place where we are to pick us up. God was right there for him, just like God was right here for Jonah. Just like Jesus was right there for Peter. When Peter was starting to sink after walking on the water, the only man to ever walk on water. You say, boy, that Peter, he didn't have much faith. I mean, he just looked down and boom, he was, wait. When's the last time you stepped over the side of the boat? We're so tough on Peter. He had faith enough to do what God told him, to, uh, what the Lord told him to do. Then he kind of lost sight of Jesus, maybe thinking he could do this on his own. But isn't it interesting? While he's sinking, Jesus is right there. And Peter, Peter prays one of the best, one of the most heart-sincere prayers in the entire Bible. He says, Lord, help me. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because God's a God of grace. Why? Because God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. Why? Because God loves us more than we realize. Why? Because God sees our potential. God knows what we can do. God knows what we can become. God knows how we, he, we can serve Him and how we can be blessed beyond measure. You know, as a pastor, sometimes people want counseling. And, and you talk to them and you help them and you try to get inside the situation that they're living in. And I've done this many times, and I'll explain to them what the Scripture says about this particular issue that they're dealing with, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I will say this, just another study on human nature, that as a whole, people have a tendency to look at what God's Word says, and they're reminded by a counselor, by the pastor, by someone who has some spiritual insight, and they look at what God says for them to do in a certain situation, but they see that as small in comparison to whatever problem or issue or circumstance that they see, see themselves in right now and whatever they might be facing. Psalm 34, say, uh, 3 says this, We should magnify the Lord. The psalmist said, I will magnify the Lord. We sing that here in, in a song or two. I, don't, I can't pull up the, the, the song title, but I know we do. I will magnify the Lord. Uh, when you magnify something, oh, let, let me explain it like this. Who has a Bible open? Who has a Bible open? There, you would do right there, Pauline. Can I just see your Bible? Or just hold it in front of me? Now, you see all that print? You can see that print, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if I do this with my magnifying glass, tell me, ooh, what happened? It enlarges and I can really see it. What enlarged? The print. It did? No, well, put that here. <laughs> it did? No, no, you're, you're on. You're, it's like this was planted. What a, what a great answer. What great perception. Wow. Wow. Let's talk about magnifying. See, we tend to magnify our problems. Let me explain this. When you magnify something, you don't actually change the size of whatever it is you magnify. Those letters didn't get any bigger. That page didn't grow. That Bible's no thicker. Huh? But you change your perception of it. And so people tend to magnify their problems, and the result is when they do that, God looks so small in comparison. So you can counsel 24 hours a day and give them every verse in the Bible that you've ever memorized, frontwards and backwards. But when you magnify the Lord, your perception of God changes, and you start to see Him for who He is, and you start to realize that there is nothing too hard for God. You see, what you magnify 
doesn't get bigger, but your perception of it does. We should magnify the Lord. Don't magnify your problem. Don't magnify your situation in life. Don't magnify your bad luck. Don't magnify your circumstance. Don't magnify somebody else who's made it bad on you. Just magnify the Lord. And when you do that, you start to see him for who he is. And you start to realize that he can handle your problem because he's already bigger than any problem or any situation. But back to what I was starting to say. Over the years, I've done some, and I've done some marriage counseling for people. Most marriage counseling goes in one ear Oh, no, it doesn't even do that. Just drops off the earlobe, I think. It doesn't even get in there, because to go to the other, it would have to go through a brain. I know you laugh. I have proof. (laughs) I've been at this for a while. And so what happens is, when it goes in one ear, and we don't know where it goes from there, things usually get worse. They don't always, thank God, but... Many times they do. And then they'll come back to me and say, hey, I thought you were going to fix this. And I said, how long has it been going on? Oh, about 15 years. I said, well, you don't fix 15 years of problems in 15 minutes. Wish we could. Oh, about 20 years. Oh, about 12 years. Yeah, I've been happily married. I was happily married three years. Well, I've been married 12, but I was happy for three. And you know what I want to say then? Thankfully, I didn't say what I wanted to say. Thankfully. But my point is this. God's word has clear principles. And it's so simple. When we obey them, here's what happens. Things tend to work better for us. (laughs) And even if they don't, we can handle it. But when we ignore these principles from the same book or we disobey them, things don't go so well. And thankfully, we serve a God who is merciful. And he understands our situation. And he knows that oftentimes we're boneheads. And he has mercy and grace for boneheads. And all the boneheads said? (laughs) Here's another truth. God is not only quick to hear us when we repent, but God is right there in the midst of the circumstances that will bring us to repentance. Look at verse 4 then. Actually, I'm going to read... uh, I'm going to read... uh, Let me go back to verse 4 of of chapter 1. Here we go. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And then I want to go down to verse um, 17, the last verse of uh, chapter 1. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah, see, provided, he provided, he prepared. And Jonah was inside the fish three days, still can't believe that, and three nights. And who was it that caused the storm? And who was it that appointed the big fish to swallow Jonah? Here's the Bible truth. Those circumstances we're going through, quite often God has ordained them as, as part of, 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 of your trip back to him, part of your repentance. Now, it means, what does repentance mean? It means to turn and go in the opposite direction and get on track, and I'm going to just add my piece, parenthetically, and stay on track. That's true repentance. Quite often their God-ordained means to bring us to that point. And then chapter 2, I'm jumping around here over in verse 3, here's what he says. He's still in this prayer. And he said, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me, all your waves, <laughs> and your waves, and breakers swept over me. Not the waves, but yours. And I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look, the next word is the most important in that chapter, again, toward your holy temple. You heard me. 
and I'm turning. Now, we understand that God will sometimes use extreme circumstances in order to get us to repentance. And what this does is it shows us the ultimate value that God places on each one of us. He even places an ultimate value on the situation you're in right now or the circumstances that you're going through. The ultimate value of us being right with God. And I want to ask you a personal question right now. You don't need to answer it uh, audibly. But just considering what we've said in the last few minutes, I want to ask you this question, and I want it to come straight to you, right to your heart. Are you right with God? And the reason I'm asking that is there is an eternal, as there is in this book of Jonah, there is an eternal perspective here. Often missed. Often missed. Oftentimes we read this cute little story of a, of a wayward prophet and a big whale and all the rest, but we miss some things. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. We need to understand that God sometimes uses these circumstances to get our attention, and the ultimate value is that we be right with God. This eternal perspective is, and that's why Jesus says things like, well, what good is it if if a man gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Certainly a rhetorical question because everybody knows the answer to that. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, 18, listen to this because it may never have been explained before. He said, for I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Christian boy, I tell you, it's time to sit up straight and put your head up and your shoulders back and your chest out and say, "Woo!" He said, the sufferings of this present time are not even worth, this is Paul writing, are not even worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. That's the eternal perspective. In God's economy, or in God's view, hear it carefully, it'd be better than, he's saying, if we suffered the entire time we're on this earth, if, in the end, we're going to spend eternity in his presence in glory. And that's hard for us to understand, isn't it? It is. Nobody likes suffering, and nobody's inviting it, and nobody wants it, and there's not too much of the martyr spirit left here. Uh, rightly so. But i got to tell you, it's very biblical. Now, here's what's happening. God, in a sense, is bringing judgment upon Jonah, but more importantly, God isn't so much paying Jonah back as he is bringing him back. God knew what it would take to get him to stop running. God knew what it would take to get him to stop rejecting his his rule and reign over his life. And so God allows and even ordains Jonah's suffering in order to show Jonah how inept he really is and to show Jonah how much he really does need God. Jesus said this. He said, without me, you can do We'll all say that together. Without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. Not some things, not a few things, not... He says, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing of any value. Nothing that's going to last. Now, we don't see that when we're in the middle of it. And, and again, I understand that. Usually it's hindsight. The old twenty twenty vision. We look back and say, wow. Wow. Didn't realize it then. But wow, God was really with me through that crisis. And the point is, God loves you enough to do what it takes to bring you back to him. God loves you enough huh, to do whatever it takes, wherever you are today, friend, listen to me. He loves you enough, and more than that, he loves you enough to do whatever it takes to bring you back to him. I'm going to begin to read at verse 4 in Jonah 2 and read another uh, maybe uh, four verses or so. Verse 4, Jonah said, I, I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look, there's that word again, again, 
toward your holy temple. The, engulf, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. This is nice. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. And my, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. There's still a theological debate over whether Jonah actually died inside that fish or not. As Jesus said in the gospel, that even as the Son of Man would be, or as Jonah was in the, in the fish, three days and three nights, so would the Son of Man be in the earth. And, and I kind of subscribe to that, but you, you can believe it whichever way you want. It doesn't dis, disservice the text. So Jonah is in this bad situation. He starts talking about being driven from God's sight. He talks about being driven from the temple. I don't... He's not on the third row of the church on Sunday morning. He... Think where he is when he's praying this. He said, now I'm envisioning the temple. And in Jonah's time, the temple was where communion with God took place. That's where people connected. That's where God's presence was felt. That's where the anointing of God was so present. He is actually lamenting not being in the presence of God. And he tried to run from God. Now he's regretting it. Now I want you to notice that the words of this prayer are actually prophetic in the sense that they sort of describe Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. See, even in this position, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Jonah was a prophet. And even in the midst of his mess and this rotten situation, if you will, that he was in, had to be rotting by now, he can't help but speak prophetically. Even though he's clamoring, he's trying, he's doing what he can do to try to figure a way back and out of this awful situation, he just can't help but being who he is. The prophet of God. Now here's the deal. How long do you... This is really good for speculation, but, but it's great to get our minds... You know, get, let's expand a little bit here. How long do you think it was before Jonah repented? You know, when he was on the way down and he realized he was the big gulp for the day? I mean... I mean do you think he repented the second he got, he got taken in? Or was he so stubborn that he was in there a while before he finally repented? And we don't really know. I don't think we can say conclusively, but either way you look at it, there are lessons to be learned. If, if Jonah repented the second he got swallowed, then it shows me the severity of disobeying God. Let me explain. People will sometimes say to me, no, you, you believe in hell? I said, yes, I do. Well, doesn't that seem kind of extreme? Yes. Yes. Well, Bob, I mean, being in a lake of fire for all of eternity, doesn't that seem kind of harsh? Yes. And then I have to explain to them, with all the grace I can muster, that it is an eternal punishment. Listen to this. Because when we sin, we sin against an eternal, perfect, infinite God. And how else could we be punished for that sin? Think about it like this. If you were to come up to me after church today and call me a filthy pig, which I don't think you should because I showered this morning, <laughs> spit on me, and then slap me in the face, what do you think the consequence of that would be? Well, if I'm in the flesh, the consequence would be if you did that. Oh, no, we won't talk about that. Think about it, though. 
What do you think the consequence would be if you did the very same thing? Like, if, if you did that to me, we might get into a fight. Now think about what the consequence would be if you did that, let's say, to a state trooper. The consequence would be a little more severe. What if you did that to a governor of the state or a high-ranking official? Or imagine if you did that to a, the president or somebody in the presidential cabinet of the United States, some really high-ranking official. See, with me, it might just end up being a fight out on the, out on the parking lot. <laughs> with a state trooper, it'd probably be 30 days in jail, maybe 90, and who knows how long. With the governor, I'm sure it'd be a year or more, and with the president, it might be 10 years or 20 years. I don't know what it would be. Think about it. Let's take that into the realm of sin. And an infinite, eternal, almighty, all-powerful God who is the maker and the creator and the sustainer of everything, of this universe. And this God is infinitely holy and righteous and just, and he sends his own son to die for those sins, your sins and mine. And you reject that offering. And you say, well, I reject the death of the sinless Son of God as an offering for my sin. Then I ask you, what should the consequences be? You say, well, an eternity in, in the fish, in, in, the, in the lake of fire might actually be merciful. So if Jonah repented right away, the fact that he remained in the fish for three days could be showing us the severity of God's discipline. Because if he, if he, if he, if he repented right away, why didn't he get burped out of there right away? Or it could be that it, he, it, he was in the middle of the ocean and it took three days to get close enough to shore for him to land. But if Jonah was stubborn and he didn't repent right away, what that teaches us is something else. And in my opinion, here's the something else, and it's even more terrifying. It's teaching us about the total depravity of man. We actually see something like this in the book of Revelation. I'm not going to turn to it, just to refer. When all the bad things are happening, and God is pouring his bowls of wrath upon the earth, and we read that there are going to be people who will still refuse to repent, and they will seek rather to die than to turn to God. And this is the thing that has, over the years, kept me awake at night. This is a thing that would cause me a great deal of anxiety. You see, I know, based on the authority of Scripture, this is our final authority, amen, that there are people, and they've heard the Word of God, and they've heard the commands of God, and they understand there is such a thing there is such a person as a creator, God, who is almighty, powerful, just, perfect. And they have an understanding of who he is. And rather than obey, they decide they will turn. They make this conscious choice and run in the other direction. Now, here's the good news. God will do whatever it takes to bring you back and to get you and keep you on the right track. Look at verse 8. We're getting down there. Those who cling to worthless idols... Oh, Jonah is getting really spiritual now. He's getting real serious now. I think the stench is getting to him, don't you? Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. That's heavy. Jonah makes... <laughs> He makes an observation here about idolatry. And you say, what's that got to do with anything? What is idolatry? I'll tell you what it is. Idolatry is the giving of love, affection, and adoration that we should be giving to God, giving that to something else. And that's what Jonah had been doing. He, uh, he'd been doing the same thing that he thought the Ninevites were guilty of. You know, a lot of people have become the judge and jury and executioner in God's absence, they, uh, they judge others for the same things they're doing. They either judge them for what they're doing, or they judge them because they're doing it, or they judge them for the way they do it, or they judge them for the way they don't do it. And the person, usually what's happening here is the person judging wants to be able to do that thing as well, this thing or that thing, but that person over there, well, he does it or she does it, 
So they're guilty. And, and, he, and she's a sinner. And he's a sinner. And they're sinners. And the reality is that the legalist secretly wishes that he or she could be doing it too. But they wouldn't think of that because if they did it, it would cause their standard of righteousness, and I want to underscore what their standard of righteousness is themselves, that would come crashing to the earth. And that would be the end of it. And so Jonah repents. He just puts it aside. He said, I'm not going to judge anymore. I'm repenting. And then I'll look at verse 9 and 10. But I, but I, I love that. With a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. Shouts of grateful praise. What I have vowed, I will make good. Whoa, he's coming clean now. Salvation comes from the Lord. Verse 10 says, and the Lord commanded the fish. Hmm. And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The fish couldn't even stand him. Huh? Yeah, verse 10 says that God caused the fish to spit him up or vomit him on dry land. So we got a praying prophet and a puking fish. But we got a whole lot more in between. Real quickly, I want you to turn over to the next chapter 3. I'm not going to go all the way through it, obviously. But I want to read the first three verses. Because when a chapter starts out with then, you want to know then what? When a chapter starts out with therefore, you want to know why it, what it's there for. So chapter 3 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, bonehead. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. What was the first word of the Lord right there in Genesis 3.1? Go! What was the first word of the Lord in Genesis 1.2 to, to, uh, to a Jonah? Go! Couldn't have got a much smaller word. Like, what part of go don't you understand? And Jonah this time did what? He obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. He would have missed quite a ride if he had done that the first time, wouldn't he? <laughs> now, Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. I had a car like that once. Um, So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah again. Every time you see again in this book, just if you're a, a Bible noter, just, just put a circle around there. And it's the exact same thing God told him before, which is go. Go. Jonah, go. See, and, and maybe you're not catching how this is linked together, so let me just say this. I think, I think it'll help. God doesn't change, even though our circumstances do. God didn't change at all from chapter 1 to chapter 3 as we read it. He's the same God. We say God. Uh, I, here's what we say about Jesus. Here's what the Bible says. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He commands us. His commands to us are always the same. We say, yeah, I, I know God. I know the command and I know it's your word and I know you're instructing me and, I ought, and you said go and, 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 but I got this thing going on and I got these issues and, and I've been through a lot and you don't know you, and, and, and God just go. Go. Yeah, 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 God, but you know, I, I, I'm nobody special. I, I'm just a regular person. I don't, I don't have all these gifts and talents, and I, I'd never made the Bible, and, and I... I... <laughs> Go! Yeah, yeah, God, but, uh, you know, I'm kind of like Jonah there. I feel like I've been swallowed by this big fish, and, and then after a few days, I got puked up on dry land, and, and, and you wouldn't believe the, 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 the mental torture that, uh, that's involved in all that, and all the, uh, the anguish that I... And God says, go, go, 
Go! You know what Jonah did? He was obedient. And he said, yes, sir. Right away. I'm going. Matter of fact, God, guess what? I'm already on my way to Nineveh. And that's the lesson for us today. If God calls us to repent of something, I'm going to reword that. If God calls on us to repent of anything, it's best to heed that call. And repent right away. Don't wait the three days. Don't wait till everybody on land and in the sea is sick of you. Repent right away. And don't delay. Because this book, our Bible, God's Word says, obedience is better than sacrifice. If God calls us to repent, it's best to heed that call. Now let me speak to your heart for just a moment. And I want to do this in just a little bit different, a little more personal way than sometimes we do here. And I know I have your indulgence. Let's just have a quiet time before God. Let's have a serious time before God. Let's try to just ignore distractions or just not allow them. And let me say this to you. If you've been running, maybe right where you are in life now, if you are running right now, maybe you're here and you heard something that really applied to you when you say, you know, I've never truly repented of my sins and embraced the perfect Son of God as my own eternal Savior. And I realize now it's an eternal issue. It's not a religious issue. It's a relationship issue. Then I urge you to repent today and turn to him. He was sent to die in your place. What an offer. What an offer. He became the grace of God for you. God's riches at Christ's expense. He, in return, gives you his grace, his forgiveness, his eternal salvation. Paul says, whatever we go through in life now doesn't even compare to what we're going to have in eternity in God's glory. You're going to have it. You're going to be there. We're going to play a song that really, really resonates with this series. And I've asked if we could play it one more time, at least. So we're going to play that for you in the quiet of this next four or five minutes, or four minutes. And I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to offer myself as an ear. I'm just going to stand to the side. I'm not going to make a big show here at the front. But if you are running, if you have run, if this message has resonated with you, if there's something that needs to be addressed and you need to get it settled, I want you to come and just shake my hand and just tell me what it is. Don't come and just smile and say, oh, boy, that was a good message. No, I'm, I'm appealing to your heart. I'm appealing to your spirit. I'm appealing to where you are in your life right now. I'm not talking about the guy next to you. I'm not talking about the people that aren't here. I'm talking about what has God said to you. It'll take some nerve. It'll take some bravery. It'll take some courage. Step out from where you are while this song is playing and before we invite the worship team to come back and lead us. But I'll be there for you. And I'll hear you, and I'll rejoice with you as you make your decision. Because when he calls us to repent, we best heed that call.